What do you want out of life? Why are you here? What purpose do you serve and whom are you serving? Throughout my life, uh, in one way or another, these are questions that I have asked myself. I suspect you have also. Um, I have a desire to know God, to be used by God, to have God's blessing in my life. The fact that you are in church suggests to me that you also have this same desire, or that at least you're interested in what God may have uh, to offer you. If you're like me, you've also experienced frustrations and failures that lead to discouragement and doubt. Uh, There's this great inspirational video on YouTube that I enjoy, and uh, I like to watch it from time to time. The the video is entitled uh, The Gospel by Eric Ludi. Perhaps some of you have seen it. Uh, It's a powerful parable-like message that describes the progression of the gospel message within a believer's life. I encourage each of you to watch it if you haven't seen it, um, because it's going to be much better than the summary you're about to hear from me. But it describes the faith journey in what I see as seven stages. Stage one. We are all rebels confined within a prison cell and are receiving uh, the just punishment for our rebelliousness. Stage two, if we choose, we can allow the intercessor to step in on our behalf and receive the punishment which is justly ours, that is to be freed from our condemnation. Uh, Point here, a major emphasis of this message is that many of us are stuck in stage two, praising and worshiping God, uh, but still in the prison and living as prisoners. Stage three, we exercise our freedom by exiting the prison uh, where we receive an invitation to come near to the king. Stage four, upon coming near to the king, we learn that uh, we have not only been asked into his presence, but that we are also being adopted into his family and uh, his riches become our inheritance. Stage five, the king commissions us to return to the prison and spread the news about the intercessor and the opportunity Uh, for all to be freed. Stage six. Before we go, the king informs us that we will fail uh, in this mission because we have neither the strength nor the ability to accomplish it on our own. He then offers to infill us with uh, with himself, empowering us supernaturally to accomplish what we cannot. Stage seven. We are released to accomplish the king's will in which we engage in spiritual battles, for which we are successful due to the supernatural power we receive through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. After watching this video, I feel encouraged and driven. I want to I get out of the prison cell. Then I'm reminded that this is a, a parable, and the prison door is a metaphor. question is, a metaphor for what? As Dee just mentioned, over the past eight months or so, I've received uh, teaching, and I've put some of this teaching into practice. I believe that I've discovered the key to moving forward within these seven stages, uh, as uh, I just described, uh, by engaging in spiritual disciplines. The Bible contains instructions uh, for what these spiritual disciplines are and how to engage in them, and the benefits of each. It is through the practicing of these disciplines that we are able to grow and advance through these stages of the gospel journey. I'm going to go over four of them with you today. Um, I believe that they are key to at least beginning this journey and getting out of the prison cell. They are, number one, gathering with uh, fellow believers. Number two, daily reading God's word. Number three, personal and corporate prayer. And number four, daily confession of sin. So let me talk about gathering. Uh, What happens if you stop 
regularly gathering uh, or attending church services, engaging in corporate prayer, or just getting together with other believers. I can tell you from experience, you begin to drift. Actually, it's probably more like a riptide. If you don't pay attention, you scarcely notice it, but it's not long before you are far from God. It has been my experience that when I gather together with other believers, I consistently experience three things. God speaks to me. In Matthew 18, 20, it says, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. God uses fellow believers to encourage me uh, through their words and their example. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And finally, I'm contributing to a larger purpose. Romans 12, 5 says, So in Christ... We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So let me talk about reading God's word. And by my estimation, God has chosen one means of communicating to everyone. He has provided us with the Bible, which is his word. I have two children. I love them a great deal, but sometimes they can drive me nuts. Uh, Sometimes I will attempt to uh, issue directions to them while they're on their phones with headphones on. Now, how responsive do you think a child is to their father when they talk to him, but their attention is elsewhere and they are not listening? I can tell you that they are completely irresponsive. Likewise, if we are not in God's word, it's like we've got the, the, the screen of the world in front of us and we've got the earphones of the devil speaking into us. And when we do this, we are not paying attention to God, and we are not listening. Therefore, we are irresponsive to God and the direction that he provides to, uh, to us in our life. And so being in God's word is extremely important. Additionally, we miss out on some of the blessings that God provides us uh, through being in his word. Just uh, share a few of those with you. There's the blessing of prosperity and success. Uh, Perhaps you've heard this passage before. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That's Joshua 1.8. There's also the blessing of wisdom and insight. In Psalm 119, 98 through 100, it says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. And then another blessing is the, uh, the freedom from sin. Also in Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So let me talk about prayer. Why is prayer important? How does it make a difference? Why does it make a difference? Does it really make a difference at all? Again, these are the types of questions that I'm challenged with when it comes to being devoted to prayer. I do find prayer to be similar to reading the Bible, except it's the vice versa. Instead of God speaking to me through his word, I'm speaking to him through prayer. But there is a challenge with prayer in in comparison to reading the Bible. When I read the Bible, I have something physical in my hand, and I'm, I'm reading stories of events that actually took place. When I pray, I'm speaking into the air. And they are uh, an offering to God and a representation of my faith. Why? Because I cannot see, hear, uh, or touch God. I must believe. 
I not only have to believe that God is there, but I also have to believe that he cares about me and cares about the things that I care about. I am thankful that Jesus said that our faith only needs to be as big as a mustard seed because sometimes my faith feels very small. When I choose to press forward and speak to God, even when I doubt um, that he may be there or that he may care, God honors my prayers. And this is a wonderful promise that I choose to grasp onto tightly. I think there are three keys to ensuring a powerful prayer life. Um, number one, make sure you honor, your God, uh, honor God with your prayers. Um, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he told them to start their prayer like this. Father, hallowed be your name. That's a Luke 11.2. This prayer that uh, Jesus gives in this passage is a version of the Lord's Prayer that starts almost identically. In both cases, Jesus encourages us to honor God as we start our prayers. This tells me that honoring God is, uh, in our prayers is a, of high importance. Also, pray with increased volume. Jesus told us to ask, seek, and knock. Uh, sometimes these things must be done with persistence in order to receive the result that we seek. Jesus also told a parable of a persistent widow that continuously went to an unjust judge and eventually received the justice that she was seeking. In Luke 18, 7, uh, Jesus goes on to say, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who uh, cry out to him day and night? Do not give up on your prayers. God will honor them. Finally, pray with others. In Acts 1.14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer. Uh, this, of course, was uh, right before the day of Pentecost. and We know that there were about 120 believers gathered together uh, around this time for about 10 days. They joined together in constant prayer. What was the result of these 120 believers coming together in constant prayer for 10 days? Well, we have the day of Pentecost. And um, <clears throat> the believers uh, that day began speaking in other languages and dialects. Peter preached the gospel, and, and 3,000 people came to know Christ that day. And this was the beginning of the church. If that doesn't speak to the importance of getting together and praying together, I don't know what does. Let me talk about confession of sin. I am naturally a prideful person. I like to think I have things figured out and that I have wisdom beyond my ears. It's hard for me to admit that there are things that I don't understand or that I struggle with. Beyond this, the Bible teaches me that I am completely lost. We all are. Isaiah 53.6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. Psalm 14.3, There is no one who does good, not even one. This passage is actually quoted in Romans chapter 3, where it also says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Uh, I think the Apostle Paul eloquently captured our struggle when he said, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That's Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. So if this is true, then what hope do we have? Luckily, we have the greatest hope of all through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are cleansed of our transgressions, and through confession, we can approach God. So again, in Isaiah 53, 6, the, the verse ends by saying, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Psalm 14 was written by David, who also said, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's Psalm 32.5. The verse following Romans 3.23 says, We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. Likewise, the verse after 1 John 1.8 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, after he talks about how awful a person he is and how he can't seem to do anything right, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians 11.28, we are instructed to examine ourselves. I'm not sure if it says how often we ought to do that, but making this a daily discipline seems prudent to me. So, how do we get out of the prison cell? God calls us to do some simple things, and among them are gathering with other believers, reading his word, praying, and confessing our sin. Simple they may be, our flesh cries out against these activities. However, all we have to do is decide and to choose and to discipline ourselves to continue in these activities. God is good. If we are faithful, he will also be faithful and will pour out all sorts of blessings. He will give us freedom, allow us in his presence, Adopt us as his children, and fill us with his Holy Spirit, and release us to do his work. I signed up for Pastor D's leadership class for one simple reason, to be better. What I mean is to be better husband, father, leader, and to influence as many people around me as I can. I'm not a person who likes crowds. I don't like to talk. So when I heard about this requirement that we give a five-minute speech, I was terrified. I took Toastmasters as a kid. I wrote five-minute speeches, and I spoke clearly without any ums as I could muster. I thought I was pretty clever when I opened up at the pastor's conference with a little thing I called God's sense of humor. I opened up with a small excerpt of my life when I practiced a speech in front of my mother's friends and one joyfully told me that I should grow up and become a pastor. I politely replied, God would have to have a great sense of humor to have me speak in front of a church, let alone preach. I looked up towards heaven in acknowledgement that he won. The pastors all had a good laugh. I did my five-minute speech in front of church. I did it. I was done. Towards the end of the course, Pastor D informs us with a smile that to graduate, we have to prepare the 10 to 15-minute presentation and preach on lessons that we've learned. All right, God, you win again. It is today that I want to talk to you about what I have taken most of this class. It's time management and goals. Now, I'm a father of a wonderful wife with five boys, well, soon to be five boys, ages eight and under. I have many eyes looking at me for guidance, so it is really important that I manage my time wisely. I'm a dreamer. My mind constantly looks ahead and imagines my world brighter and bigger for myself and my family. The problem with a dreamer is that most of us see a bright ending, but we lack the discipline to get there. We don't take time to make baby steps. We don't set daily goals that seem mundane, but are true foundations to what the big dream is what we want. I would put great effort into one project, and in turn, I would see others fall apart. I would procrastinate on other subjects in life and work extra hard to see little results. 
In these times, I find myself very frustrated. It isn't because I have good intentions. It is because I haven't taken the steps that I need to be successful. I have not set my priorities on how I want to live my life. God wants us to live our life in a way that is wise and useful. Ephesians 15 and 16 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because your days are evil. I'm a supervisor at my job. I oversee 100 employees at any given day. I have reviews to write, feedback to give, side tasks to complete, payroll to manage, and find time to mentor other employees to be successful as well. I have to do all of this in a finite amount of time. To help me, I write a revolving to-do list. At the start of the work day, I write out a list of things I need to do. I organize by priority. I make time to get each of my tasks done, starting with the most critical. If I can't get an item done, it becomes higher priority the next day. So when Pastor D brought this lesson up of time management, I felt really stupid. Why don't I apply what I already do at work to what I need to do at home? Why don't I write out a set of priorities and accomplish them at home? Is it because of my mindset I want to separate work and home and don't want to work at home? But does my wife and kids not deserve the same effort I put at work? Don't they deserve more? Doesn't God deserve more? So how do we start this? We start with what we want to accomplish. We write down our goals. We write down our goals, and we write down our goals. I say this over and over because it is important. It is critical that you understand that a goal is not anything if it's not written down. Writing something down gives it power. It means that you have committed to it. Writing it down creates effort, and in turn, you don't want to waste effort, so you feel compelled to not just toss it aside. The old phrase, out of sight, out of mind, is completely true, and you will lose sight of your goals if they are not written down where you can see them daily. With your to-do lists and goals, there should be one thing in common. They should have at the top of your priority is to read the Bible and pray. These are some of your disciplines that you should be doing daily. Pastor D pushes us to work at this, to make time. He does this because he understands the importance of what a foundation is. In order to jump high, you must first be able to stand. Isaiah 40.31 poetically describes what solidifying your foundation on the Lord will do for you. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew your strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So how did I start? Well, at the end of November, I stepped on the scale and realized that not only was I out of shape, I was the heaviest I've ever been. The scale read 199.6 pounds, less than half away from pound, half away from 200. I don't like to work out. I don't like to run. I like to snack and I eat when I'm stressed. And I really wanted to eat when I saw that. I made a goal to work out every day in 2018. Starting on January 1st, I started counting. As of today, I am 118 days straight, working out 30 minutes or more. I have lost 7 inches of my waist and 26 pounds. It didn't start easy. There are days... There are days when it seems like everything is against me to find time to work out. I find that I have more energy to do things with my family, do things with my kids, with projects around the house... And now I find that I'm a better man because I have taken care of myself and the foundations. 
It hasn't been easy. Creating these disciplines is really hard. It starts out dry and rough. It is like wading through molasses. Then after you push through the grime, it begins to get better. If you continue to press on and not quit, you find that you can't finish the day without doing anything. The class is now complete, and I still write my things down of what I want to do. I still get up, and I read my Bible, and I pray. It isn't easy, but it's worth it. My favorite verse so far is 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I'm getting ready. Are you? I was shopping with my daughters the other day, and uh, we had a good laugh. We saw a T-shirt, a white T-shirt with big red letters that said, Coming up next, more bad news. We laugh because, face it, we all know someone who could wear the shirt. Someone that we can count on to freely provide us with a cynical opinion, a take on any topic or situation or person, anytime, place, gloom and doom. Or they may just grumble, complain, and blame a lot but we know it's coming as soon as they begin to speak. We live in a society where information is shared so rapidly that it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. One can easily get sucked into spending way too much time on the internet, and if you do, you'll be bombarded with strong opinions, people fussing, fuming, whining, whining ranting, complaining about every topic imaginable. Politics, finances, sports, celebrities, social issues, conspiracies, and on and on. People spewing forth rudeness, arrogantly gloating, predicting catastrophe, blaming, acting badly, reacting badly, and sharing it shamelessly. With all of that around us, it's easier than ever for us to get caught up in both in negative thinking and in negative disparaging communication with others. I know that in my life, it's generally much easier to gravitate to the negative and cynical side of things than it is to remain a positive person. It's human nature. As believers who seek to be a light to the world around us, it's important for us to consciously focus on being positive people in our thoughts and in our words. Being positive people will greatly increase the amount of influence that we have on those around us. So let's look at some key ways we can do that and what the Bible has to say about it. The way we think is where it starts. Our thinking steers our communication. In Matthew 12, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and says, For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. That's pretty clear, and it necessitates that we are very aware of our thoughts and our words. So what are some thought patterns to be aware of that signal negative thinking. Fretting, worrying, being anxious, feeling sorry for ourselves, being bitter, angry thinking is all negative thinking. It's important to recognize this as well as the fact that negative thinking is childish, immature, 
and it is actually insulting to God. So it's very important that we are aware, and when we sense ourselves thinking that way, that we replace those negative thoughts with thoughts and prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude to God for the amazing things that he has done for us. In Philippians 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He goes on to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing, having hearts of gratitude and praying, giving thanks to God, will change our negative thinking very effectively. Consider some of the things that God has blessed you with. Consider the amazing people he's placed in your life. Perhaps consider actually writing down your own gratitude list of things and people that you are thankful for. Then pray that list. Thank God for his blessings and for the people he has put into your life. It's an exercise that we should all do from time to time. It really does put things in perspective. Another significant thing that we can do is to worship well corporately. Starting each week right by praising God with our church family will really set the tone for how we think, and it will keep things in the right framework as we go out into the grind. We will never worship better privately than we do corporately. So make worship with your church family something that you are passionate about. Next, read God's word. When we know the mind of Christ, it will change how we think. Psalms are especially rich in their ability to steer our hearts towards gratitude, rejoicing, and worship. Psalms 100, 1 through 3, shout to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. Psalm 107.1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Food for thought? Try to read at least one or two psalms each day. David is referred to as a man after God's own heart, largely because he knew how to properly worship. Yes, he sinned. And when he sinned, he confessed his sin. He repented. He became obedient to God and lived his life in the framework of being passionately committed to deliberately worshiping and praising God with a grateful heart. This is what God wants us to do when we sin. So saturate your mind with psalms when you're feeling negative, disconnected, sad, or simply needing to refocus. The Apostle Paul did. He wrote in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. So now that we are thinking more positively, hopefully, we can move on to speaking positively. Uh Uh-oh. While thinking positively can be difficult, the toughest but most important thing we can ever do is try to show consistent self-control in the things we say, the words we speak. But we need to. James says in chapter 1, verse 26, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. In chapter 3, he goes on to say much more about it. Listen to this. The tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. 
People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouths. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Wow, so obviously we need to watch our words, but since it is so difficult, to what extent, how good is good enough? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it will give grace to those who hear it. No unwholesome word. That's tough, but we need to try. And when it is difficult, frankly, we should exercise our right to speak less or just say nothing at all. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Proverbs 10.9, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. 11.12, it is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. 10.19, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Proverbs 21.3, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. And one of my favorites, Proverbs 17. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. After hearing that, I think you'll agree it's better to show some restraint. I know, again, easy to say, harder to practice, but certainly worth the effort. We live in a cynical, negative world with shifting values, increasing conflict, and eroding integrity. TV, the internet, social media, though not evil in themselves, has simply increased the volume of words flying around out there, now more than at any moment in history. People emotionally responding, hastily firing away without thinking. It's just so easy to allow ourselves to get caught up in negative thinking, to engage in disparaging conversations about others, trading insults, or simply just blaming, grumbling, and complaining. In our selfishness and our pride, we can tend to forget just how gracious of a God we serve. The grace he has extended us boggles the mind. So shouldn't we try to extend a little more grace to the people in our lives with the words we say to them? Shouldn't we complain a little less? First Peter 3 says it well. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. I love that last line. He must seek peace and pursue it. I need to ask myself, would my words fall into the category of seeking and pursuing peace? I love a quote by John Maxwell about peace. He says, if you don't have peace, it isn't because someone took it from you. You gave it away. You cannot always control what happens to you, but you can control what happens in you. I think it is important to remember that we cannot control our emotions. That is how we feel. But we do have complete control over how we respond to those emotions. Attitude, it is what we control. And if we respond correctly, generally, negative emotions dissipate. And if we respond negatively, generally those negative emotions get even stronger and more difficult to deal with. 
Pastor Chuck Swindoll famously wrote the following. You may have heard it before. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play that one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it, and so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I'd like to leave you with one final verse, and this is a really good one to memorize. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing so you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Friends, let's work diligently together to shine, to become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault. Think positively. Dwell on what you're grateful for. Pray and thank God for it. Worship him with all of your heart. Read and reflect on his word. Show him you love him by loving those he places into your life. Be prepared to overlook an insult. Speak graciously. Know when not to speak at all. Forgive daily. It's not easy, but most things that are worthwhile aren't easy. We won't always succeed, but we can stay the course and we can grow together. Let's work on being more and more like Christ in how we consciously shape our thoughts and our words this week. Remember, God is in control. We don't need to fuss. We don't need to fret or worry. We don't need to set anyone straight. We need to obey him. When we obey him, all other rocks will sink. Thank you.